For, for those of you who, who maybe don't know me, uh, my name is Dale and I'm part of the team that helps lead at New Life Community Church. My message today is part of our ongoing Steps of Faith series, uh, which is all about men and women in the Bible that have stepped out in faith for God and then seen God do incredible things as a result. And today, uh, the person I want to look at is a guy named Ananias. Not the dodgy one from uh, Acts 5 who uh, lied about his fields. Not that guy. Uh, the other guy from Acts 9 who is filled with faith and is hopefully going to stir faith in us this morning. Before we do that, then, I want to set a little bit of uh, a scene for you, just to give you a little bit of context. Because I think in order to understand the faith of Ananias, we need to know something about the story of another New Testament figure, the man called Paul. Now, it's fair to say that Paul uh, is a pretty important guy in terms of the church, the Bible, and the Christian faith in general. He wrote a huge amount about his love for Jesus and his church. In fact, just under half the books in the New Testament have Paul's name on them. But at an earlier point in his life, Paul was known as Saul from Tarsus, which was his hometown. And he hated the church of Jesus with a passion. This is how Paul talks about his life before he met Jesus. Acts 26, 9 to 11. He says this. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death... I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury, I persecuted them, even to foreign cities. If you were a follower of Jesus during this time, then Saul was one guy you did not want to meet, right? This guy was on a mission to stamp out Christianity and a meeting with him, that was not going to end well. Cue our friend Ananias, follower of Jesus, living in the city of Damascus. We don't really know much about Ananias, except that he's a regular person, possibly like me, like you. He's minding his own business, faithfully living his life for God, when suddenly he comes face to face with Jesus in a vision. Let's look at that together. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Acts 9, and we're going to read 10 to 19. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. 
So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. So again, we're not given too much detail about what Ananias is doing at the time of the vision, but presumably he was praying or reading his Bible and not cooking the dinner or driving a donkey uh, when it happened, because that would have been a whole thing, I imagine. But Jesus says, Ananias. And Ananias replies, here I am, Lord. Have you ever had one of those moments where um, (laughs) you've... You've agreed to something before you've realized exactly what it is you've agreed to. So my wife purposely does that to me all the time. Uh, she'll ask me a really important question when I'm right in the middle of a game on my Xbox. She will come up to me and she'll say something like, should we go on holiday to so-and-so? And I'm just like, yeah, that sounds good, babe. Yeah, whatever you think. And then a week later, she'll bring it up and I'll say, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I don't remember agreeing to that. And she'll say, yes, you did. I asked you about it last week on Tuesday at 6.47. And I'll say, what was I doing at the time? She'll say, you're playing your Xbox. And I'll say, well, there you go then. That doesn't count. Just so you know, in our house, that 100% does count. Absolutely. It feels a little bit like what Ananias has done here. Although in reality, he's just expressing his heartfelt attitude of obedience to King Jesus. You see, he didn't say, here I am, Lord, in case Jesus didn't see where he was. He said, here I am, Lord, because he wanted Jesus to know that he was in. Whatever Jesus wanted from him, he was up for it. And in using those words, he was echoing the words of some of the mighty men of faith in the Bible, like Abraham, Moses, Isaiah. God said to Isaiah, whom shall I send? And Isaiah says, here I am, Lord. Send me. So Ananias is committed. He's excited. He's like, what have you got for me, King Jesus? What can I do for you? Jesus says, go to Straight Street. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Yep, says Ananias. Yep, no worries. Then go to the house of Judas. Yep, no worry. You can do that. Yep, 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 yep. When you get there, Ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. I like to imagine a needle scratching. The camera zooms in on Ananias' face. I'm sorry, what? Saul, Saul of Tarsus, you mean? But Jesus just carries on. Saul is praying, and I've shown him a vision of you coming and touching him so he can see again. Let's be clear, Ananias knows full well who this guy Saul of Tarsus is. If you're a Christian at this point, that name means something to you. This guy's job is to hunt you down and put you down. Ananias knows the most likely scenario from here on out is that he'll end up either in prison or dead. So naturally, he tries to get out of it and backtrack a little. He says, but Jesus, everyone's talking about this guy. Everyone knows all the horrible, terrible things he's done to your followers in Jerusalem. And now he's here to do the same to us. Between you and me, 
Saul has already met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And that encounter has not only blinded him, but it's completely changed his character. But the point is, Ananias doesn't know this yet. He doesn't know that Saul has gone from hating anything to do with Jesus to being a follower himself. I want you to imagine, then, the size and the weight of that task that was now set before him. As far as he knows, Ananias is a marked man. This mission of Jesus is most likely going to cost him. Best case scenario is that he survives and escapes, right? But even then, his life probably won't be the same anymore. How will the other believers react to him? If they find out he's been hanging out with their worst enemy, maybe they won't even see him. They might think he's being watched or that he's turned traitor. How will his actions be received? What will people say and think? And I think this is why, even though Ananias is a regular person like me and you, he sits right up there with the other great heroes of faith, like Deborah and Ruth and Moses. All because of what he does next. Just like every hero of faith, he makes a huge step of faith in the shape of of a load of little ones. First of all, he decides to put his trust in God. Then he gets up, he puts his sandals on. That's a step of faith. He puts his coat on and he walks out of the door. That's a step of faith. And then he keeps putting one foot in front of the other, down alleys and along streets. Each one is a milestone step of faith. And he arrives at the house. And he stretches out his hand and he knocks on the door. Step of faith. As he enters the house, he sees Saul for the first time and he stretches out his hand again and laying it on Saul's shoulder, he addresses him with kindness and with respect. Brother Saul, the Lord has sent me to you so that you can receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. That is an incredible An incredible step of faith. And what's the result? The result is that immediately scales fall from Saul's eyes and he can see again. And the first person he sees is someone who used to be his enemy that now calls him brother. God has used Ananias' step of faith to not only bring healing to Saul, but to show him the depth and the power of his love and compassion through Ananias' kindness. In this context, Ananias is the first Christian, most likely, that Saul has encountered since that Damascus road. How Ananias acts is going to be hugely shaping and impactful on Saul's life and his trajectory. Excuse me, notes sticking together. Because of Ananias' actions, his step of faith didn't stop there. Its ripples are felt across the world and down through history, even here between you and I. Remember, Saul went on to be one of the most impactful Christians in history by taking the good news of Jesus out into the wider world. So that instead of trying to snuff out the spark of the Christian faith, 
he started fires for Jesus everywhere he went. Not because Saul was great, but because God most certainly is. Amen? Brothers and sisters, this is how God loves to work. He takes those regular people like you and sometimes weirdos like me and he uses them. In spite of our weakness, our fallenness and our fear, he uses our small steps of faith to do big things. Not because we're great, but because he is. Do you see that? Small steps of faith add up to big steps of faith that God uses to do even bigger things. If you take nothing else away from what I say today, remember that small steps of faith lead to big steps of faith that God uses to do even bigger things. I want to share with you a little bit of testimony about myself. I'm not keen on talking about myself, but I do think it's relevant, and I want to share with you how I have seen God outwork this principle in my life. So my story is that I grew up in a Christian home. We all went to church, we all prayed, and we all read the Bible. In fact, I don't remember a time when I didn't know the friendship of Jesus. But in my teens, we stopped going to church entirely, suddenly. We tried to do what I like to call heretical house church at home. Uh, for those of you <laughs> who, who've, you know, have any experience of that, you'll know what I mean. Um, it was born out of something that wasn't necessarily particularly healthy. But, but nevertheless, we tried. But eventually that fizzled out. And from that point on, little by little, I managed to move my friendship with God from the center of my life to the furthest, the furthest edges. I stopped reading my Bible. I stopped praying. And pretty soon, I stopped thinking about God at all, for the most part. In that time, I went to college. I got married. I had kids. I became a car mechanic. And I got a Sunday job right here in Wimborne at the market as well. So my life was pretty full, and yet it was also pretty empty. Then one day on my way to work, I was driving past the church where Michelle and I got married. <laughs> and suddenly, out of nowhere... I heard a voice just as clearly as if someone was sat in my passenger seat in my manky old Ford Fiesta and the voice said, if you don't go back to church, I'm done with you. And I know that sounds harsh, but all I can say is it wasn't. It didn't sound harsh at all to me. It was authoritative, it was firm, but it was soft and it was reassuring and yet at the same time terrifying. Imagine driving in your car and suddenly a voice speaks to you from nowhere. The words that I heard were immediately followed by a clear sense of what they meant and who had said them. I knew God had spoken to me. And I understood that he wasn't abandoning me. But if I didn't do what he asked, then all the things he had planned for me would not happen. I realized that God had been nudging me for a long time about this thing through stuff I'd read or seen or, or what I'd heard from others. And most importantly, actually, what I'd felt in my heart. But I'd chosen to consistently ignore him. So I thought, in all honesty, guys, I thought, if it's so important that God is going to come and speak to me in my car, 
I had better flip and get this thing sorted, right? In that moment, in that car, I promised him I would change. I promised I would stop making myself the center of my life and I would put God back in the center where he should be. And then almost as suddenly as the voice had come, the size and the weight of the task ahead occurred to me. Like Ananias, I suddenly agree, uh, suddenly realized what I'd agreed to. I would have to give up my Sunday job. I enjoyed that, plus I got paid in comic books and computer games, so <laughs> well, what was going to happen with those? More importantly, what would my wife say? I was pretty certain she was not going to be interested, and how would that actually affect us and our relationship? I knew it meant I'd have to change my behavior at work. I don't know if you know much about working in a garage, but when you get a bunch of lads together in that sort of environment, the conversations are not good, mostly, my experience. You know, swear words are used as much for punctuation in a sentence as they are when you smack you around with a hammer. Plus, I had a reputation, in all honesty, which I'm not proud of, of being, having a bit of a temper. One colleague said I had angry little man syndrome, which is not a helpful thing to say to an angry little man. Uh, so I politely explained that was not the case whilst pinning him up against the wall. So just to let you know, that's where I was at. The point is, those things and those behaviors I knew did not seem to fit with what God was asking me to do. But I did not know how to change them. Then there was the question of where I'd go to church and whether they would even accept someone like me. And in all honesty, underneath that was another question. Would I really accept them? The task ahead seemed so big and so overwhelming. It was such a huge step of faith. In all honesty, I didn't think I had it in me at all. But I had made a promise to God and he had come and visited me in my car. In effect, I'd said, here I am, Lord. So I decided to just trust God. And when I got home, I told my wife what had happened. Imagine that conversation. By the way, God popped into the car on the way to work this morning and told me I've got to go back to church. <laughs> that was a step of faith that I did that. Now, she wasn't interested in going, but she helped me find a church in our town online credit to her character but also another step of faith i quit my sunday job and i explained why to my friend and also who happened to be my boss another step of faith and then i went to church again for the first time in years and i took my kids with me and we sat right at the back and i didn't talk to anyone and i glared at anyone that came within a hundred feet of me but it was still a step of faith right and then i joined a midweek group in the evening I've got to tell you, that was, a, that was another step of faith. And eventually I grew to accept those people in that church and to understand the reality that through God and his grace in and through them, they had already accepted me. I grew to love and understand my place as part of that family. That was another step of faith. So after a while, my life looked very different. I'll tell you this, my work colleagues did not understand. They did notice that my behavior had begun to change, but when I shared why, 
they absolutely tore into me. You've heard God in your car. You're nuts, mate. Even so, I trusted God and I knew that he was in control. So I used those moments as opportunities to share my testimony and God's story wherever I could. And each time I did that, that was just another little step of faith. My wife didn't actually understand to start with. And that did cause tension between us sometimes. But I did trust God. I knew he had it. So instead of shying away from that topic, it provoked healthy conversations between us about things we'd often avoided. Each one of those was a little step of faith. You fast forward to my current context. I'm now an elder, which means I'm part of the team that has a responsibility of looking after the people across New Life Community Church. Up until recently, I was employed by the church two days a week, but in preparation for this wonderful adoption journey that we're on together, I now have the privilege of being able to serve NLCC full-time, which means I'm able to give significantly more of my time to developing projects and programs and events that, God willing, will benefit all of NLCC. What a difference from this place to this place. I could stop there and say, praise God, hallelujah, thank you God for everything you've done. But I want to encourage you and say there's more. Because my story does not end there. Over the years since I made that promise to God, I have seen my wife come back to church with me. And she is now involved in ministry also. Both my children have started their journeys with Jesus. My parents have come back to church. One of my brothers has come back to church and another one is currently doing Alpha Online with me. My mother-in-law came back to church. My father-in-law has since encountered Jesus for the first time and he's been journeying with Jesus for a little while now and so they are involved in leadership in their church. Can you see what I'm saying? Can you see it? Small steps of faith add up to a big step of faith that God uses to do even bigger things. I'm not telling you this because I'm not great. I suck. I'm telling you this because God absolutely 100% is. Amen? I was so encouraged by Jackie's words earlier where she said, don't look to the situation around you. Look to what God can do. Don't look to the situation around you. Look to what God can do. I think that's important for us. Because, brothers and sisters, God is calling us together into a series of big steps of faith, right? But I want to encourage you to remember the example of Ananias. Those small steps of faith add up to big steps of faith that God uses to do even bigger things. So I'm going to ask the worship team to just come on up. And I want to lead us maybe in, in a time of response. Let me get out of your way. <laughs> I want you to, as we worship, I want you to think about what the next small step is on that journey. So practically, in your mind, think about, consider it before God, ask him to speak to you. What's the next small step on that journey? I want you to be free in this worship to speak that out loud to somebody, to grab the person next to you on the next table, grab me or Sam or anybody and just share that. 
It might look like asking for prayer because God said something over you, but you're fearful of that. What does that mean for me? What does that look like? I know it's so, so scary, but let's come before our Heavenly Father. Let's pray for one another. Let's encourage one another. We have the privilege of being family together and we can share wise counsel with one another. Be encouraged. Trust that God is in control and he has you so that when he calls your name, in this moment, maybe there's an opportunity, maybe you, you feel that God is calling your name into an act of obedience. Why don't you just respond with, here I am, Lord. Respond in worship and just say to him, here I am, Lord. I don't know what it means. I don't know what it looks like. I don't, know, I don't really know where I'm going, but I'm here. Send me. I'm just gonna pray and I'm going to hand over to these guys to lead us. Oh, what's that? I stole on your music. Oh, no, I can't.